All right, John chapter 17 is where we're going to be today as we continue in our series called Foundation. Uh, we've been walking through, uh, at the beginning of the year was a great uh, helpful juncture for us to kind of launch into this, to begin pursuing this, um, really this deep endeavor that we would be able to recognize and say what our foundation is. What's everything that we are built upon? What's the core of who we are? And I mean that individually for us as believers, as individual people in our personal response to the scriptures, to the truth of God's word, to who Jesus is and what he's done. But additionally, collectively, and I mean in that sense collectively, not only as a part of the church universal, but as a part of who we are, like who you and I are, who we are together as this body of Christ, as Double Oak Community Church in Chelsea. What's the foundation? What's the core of who we are? Here's what you will hear week after week here over and over and over again, um, that we're going to be people who believe in the gospel, that live in the gospel, and live out the gospel. We will do this as a local body and individuals because the scriptures teach it, the Lord commands it, and because the gospel has become everything to us. The gospel is everything to us. And we see and acknowledge week after week as we engage with the scriptures, as we presented with God's truth through his word, we recognize that everything points to creation being restored, redeemed, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the gospel being the good news, that proclamation of God's coming kingdom, what he's done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and how it changes everything. So over and over and over and over again, our goal will be to proclaim to one another, to confess to one another, to say to one another, to reiterate to one another, to remind one another that we're called to believe in the gospel, to live in the gospel, and live it out. And so to that end, in the past three weeks, we've looked at what it means to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that first started with understanding what the gospel is and looking to the scriptures in Mark chapter 1 and looking into 1 Corinthians 15 and seeing from Jesus' own mouth and, and, and the way his apostles describe an understanding that the gospel truly is the good news, the testimony, the proclamation, this good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's what the gospel is. And we found out what it means to truly believe in that gospel That belief is entrusting our lives so much so that we would repent of sin, that we would turn from our former love, ourselves, sin, anything that separated us, that we made more precious than God, that we turn from those things and have entrusted, truly entrusted, given over our lives to Jesus Because of what he has done for us. And then we saw the implications of the gospel. Specifically, we highlighted these two things that happened. One, as John 3.16 would tell us, that God so loved the world that in giving his only son, we have, through belief into Jesus, believing in Jesus, now we have eternal life in him. And John would describe and say that that eternal life looks like this, that we're now part of God's family. We are truly children of God. 
And then we looked the following week at a story back all the way into 2 Samuel to show the picture of the fact that all of Scripture points toward this gospel. This incredible story of David and Mephibosheth, um, say that five times fast, right? But like the, this, this guy who does not deserve a, a seat at the table, who culturally is in such a way that he does not uh, dine in this place, and yet David invites him, he draws him in to this table, he offers grace and mercy, this picture, this pointing toward the grace and mercy that is greater to come. In Jesus Christ. And then last week we talked really heavily about what it means to continually believe the gospel. How do we continually believe the gospel? We do that by trusting in and entrusting ourselves to, with our time, with our energies, with our heart, our emotion, our affection, the very word of God. To keep the gospel before ourselves so that we can truly continue to walk in faith. So Paul would write in Colossians, and he would say this to, to, this, to young believers, to new believers, to all believers, just as you receive Christ, so walk in him. Continue to walk in him. So that's the cry of our heart, that we would be people who believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, to the point that we would entrust our lives, to the point where we would see the gospel in all of Scripture, and that we would keep the gospel before us. Now, beginning today, for the next couple of weeks, we're really going to look at what it means to live in the gospel. We believe in the gospel. What does it mean to live in the gospel? What are the implications of living in this new reality that we have, this new eternal life, being a part of the family of God? What does that look like for the believer? Because Paul would write to the church at Corinth, and he would say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? New creation. New creation. There's something new that is happening And so we're going to look at that newness today. What does it look like to live in the implication of the gospel? And we're going to see this in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer beginning in verse 20. And what we are going to find here as we look into these scriptures is so astounding and is so otherworldly that it's hard to grasp. It's hard for us to wrap our head around. Uh, And so I've been praying for you and me that we would truly believe these words that Jesus prays. This is John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, and it says this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. What does it mean to live in the gospel? What does it mean to live in the gospel? And here's the short answer. Here's the one takeaway. Let's just get it out there early so we don't get sleepy, all right? We're one with one another. 
If you're a believer in Christ, you and other believers are to be one with one another. This portion of Scripture, these these last verses are at the culmination of what what believers have called for ages Jesus' high priestly prayer. The high priestly prayer. And Jesus is praying in this intercessory way for believers. So the Jesus who we know that Scripture says lives to make intercession, we get this beautiful picture of Jesus praying to the Father and asking these really incredible and really important things of his Father uh, with, with whom he has the deepest union. He asks these incredible things and he asks them not just in a blanket way or in some sort of like overarching way, but he does it with intentionality. And he does it very personally. And he prays this very specific thing that you see really emerge three different times. Look into verse 21, that they may be one. Verse 22, that they may be one. Verse 23, that they may be perfectly one. So who's they? Who's the they that Jesus is praying for? Look into verse 20, and you're going to see two different sets of people. Um, And Jesus calls them these and those, all right? When he says, I do not only pray for these, he's talking about his disciples, his followers, people who are trusting in him, people who are following him, people who have given their life over to him, people who are, are following Jesus. And yet there's this entire other category. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This, I think, like to me, this is one of the wildest portions of scripture there is. This is, this is truly astounding because you, if you've trusted in Christ, find yourself today in the scripture. You are here. And not in a way to just like affirm you or to make you feel good or say, oh, like, yeah, maybe Jesus thinks of me. No, he, he prayed for you and me. Because we are the those. The disciples are the these, but we're the those who came to believe in him, who came to entrust our lives to him, to repent of our sins and believe in the gospel through their very word. So do you remember as we walked through the the series in 1 John, The Gospel is Love, several weeks ago, and we talked about from the very outset, there's this picture that John the Apostle gives of knowing Jesus. And he says these four specific things in chapter 1. He says that that he heard Jesus, that he saw Jesus, And then he uses this terminology to say that he beheld him, which means he saw him up close. That idea of like, come here, let me take a good look at you, right? Beheld, he beheld Jesus. And then even as far as to say that he touched him. He's with Jesus. He's one of the, these. Saw him, heard him, beheld him, knew him, touched him. And it's through his testimony and the testimony of others that continued throughout history. Even those that would pen the words of Scripture carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's for those reasons, that testimony, that you and I have trusted in Christ. And Jesus prayed specifically for us. And this is what he prays for us. 
that we might be one. That we might be unified. That there would be this incredible, not just sense of togetherness, but instead, real union with one another. Look at the prayer of Jesus. The core of his heart, his deep longing, is that we would not just have unity, but look at what this unity is described as. In verse 21, he says, I don't ask for these only, but also those who believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one. And then there's this great qualifier, this explanation of what it means to be one. What does that oneness look like? Does it look like having a, a, a same like affinity for the same things, to, to, to kind of like the same things that one another likes, to kind of be characterized by some outward things? No, it's much deeper than that. Look at this. Look at this. Look at what it says. Just as you, Father, are they all be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you, so that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look at those words. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Not a love that kind of looks like that. Not a love that, that would, would resemble that, but in kind of a, a, a denigrated way or, or a derivative way. But that our love for one another, our oneness, is actually the same kind of oneness of the Father and Son. Co-eternal. Beautiful, perfect, pure, powerful, amazing love. What kind of love? Look into verse 24. The love that was from the foundation of the world. Jesus prays and he says to his father, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What kind of love is a love before the foundation of the world? This is the kind of love it is. A love that speaks life into nothing. A love that would set sun and moon in the sky. A love that would speak stars into existence. A love in which planets would be made. A love in which this planet would have land and sea and glorious splendor of vegetation and creature of all kinds. A love that would create people in the very image of God. That kind of love is the love that Jesus is talking about when he describes how the Father has loved him before the foundation of the world and the love that we're to have with one another. Uh, there's this guy, his name is Michael Reeves. He wrote this incredible uh, book, and it's a, it's a really helpful primer and introduction to the Christian faith. Uh, but there's some really helpful things specifically surrounding the Trinity. If you want to know more about the, the co-eternality, the relationship of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, I would recommend this book. Um, but in, in this one simple phrase, what he does is really explain... The understanding of the love that exists before the foundation of the world and how that love is thrust into creation, how that love of God is manifest in creation, and how we are to enjoy and be caught up in and be truly in that love, in union with God, 
and with one another. Here's what he says. Jesus Christ, God the Son, is the logic, the blueprint for creation. And this is really helpful because it might seem strange to read that and say, why does he say the logic? Well, when John writes in in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that word for word is logos. And it truly means logic. It's the place from which we get our word logic. And what John is saying as he writes to people and he says in the beginning was the word. He's saying from the very beginning Jesus is the very logic of God. He is the very explanation, the image of the invisible, the one to whom creation comes through and yet all creation points to. The object of all creation is Jesus Christ. And this Jesus is eternally loved by the Father. And love, as even Jesus prays and recognizes this before the foundation of the world... And then creation is about the extension of that love. That love between the Father and Son is so unique and powerful and otherworldly and holy and different than any love that we can imagine. The creation is about the extension of that love so that it might be enjoyed by others. Do you know who those others are? It's these and those. Apostles and everyone that has ever believed in and trusted in Jesus Christ. The love of the Father and the Son has been poured out through creation and then recreated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to restore life so that we could enjoy God. Enjoyment comes through experience with Him. So our Presbyterian friends would say this. That man's chief end is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. All right, for the record, a lot more former Presbyterians than our 9 o'clock service. Um, look, but this is really important. It's a really succinct it's part of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. is a way of teaching the faith uh, to people and to children. But the goal, the articulation of, of what this Christian writing says is, Hey, the point is for us to glorify God. And what that looks like is enjoying Him forever. Enjoying Him. Experiencing Him. Knowing Him. If you look back to the beginning of the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 that you're in, if you flip, like literally, if you have God's Word before, you flip the page back. If it's on the next page, look into verse 17, 3, and you're going to see Jesus explain what eternal life is. What's eternal life? He prays that we might know the one true God and Jesus Christ, his son, who he sent. That eternal life is in knowing, experiencing, enjoying God. And Jesus' prayer is that you and me would enjoy with one another The same beautiful, powerful, creating, sustaining, redeeming, incredible love with which the Father and Son enjoy and love one another. And Jesus prays this, not just individually, 
Not just that we would have it as, as one person, but instead that this is meant to be enjoyed collectively. That we're meant to enjoy the love of God and the union that comes in this love collectively. Jesus prays that this love would exist and it would be shown in our oneness together. Not as a copy, not as something like that, but just as the Father and the Son love one another. This union, this connection, this pre-foundation of the world, eternal love would be something that we participate in, that we have union in, and as a result, we share with one another. And this is wild. This is hard to wrap your head around, but I think that one of the only ways to kind of do it for me is to think through like things that I get caught up into, right? Things that I'm a part of, or a moment, or, or a piece in time that is bigger than me. So everybody knows who I'm a fan of and all that kind of stuff, and we're a basketball school now, so this shouldn't hurt as bad, all right? But here's the thing, like, Kick six, I'm hugging people. I don't know where they've been. I don't know who they are. I don't know anything about them, and I've never saw them again. I hope we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we'll meet an attorney. But I'm talking about, like, I'm caught up in this moment to where I am truly, and I mean this very clearly, and I don't mean this tongue-in-cheek in a funny way, but, like, a, a, apart from, like, being inebriated under the influence of anything like that, no, just caught up into this moment where you truly are with other people that you're like, I, I don't know you, but we love this so much. This is incredible. This is amazing. Like, so Paxton and I and our buddy Mike, we went to the Iron Bowl in 2019, and same thing. Like, clock hits zero. We're hugging folks we've never met. Like, sports is a funny thing, right? Because like, we will see people with like a logo on their shirt, and we will say, we don't know these people. On any level. Like, I'll be at the airport and I'll be like, hey, War Eagle. I don't know that guy. And that guy doesn't know me, but there's this thing that we're caught up in that we're bonded in together. All right, so maybe you're not a sports person, but think about going to a concert. And I know that's a strange thought for a number of us who haven't been to those in quite some time. But I want you to think about the moment and the things that happen at a concert with someone that, that you love their music. In one sense, it's not just that they're singing these things that are so powerful that they, you feel like they describe you. You feel like that song's about me. Like basically, I don't know how this person wrote that song for me. How do they know me? That's what I feel. And you're connected in this deep way. And then it's not just that you recognize that, but you're like singing you're like belting out all these words of these songs, and then you look over to this like total stranger that's right next to you, who's also singing these same words, shouting them out, like really from their guts coming from the inside. You're caught up into this moment that is bigger than yourself. You're in this experience corporately with others that's bigger than yourself. You know why the gospel is more powerful than that? Do you know why it's more rich and more true and more deep? And I want to be very clear when I say this, more beautiful than that? Than any incredible moment in sports or in music or in a team that you've been a part of or something that you've accomplished, a goal, anything like that. Do you know why the gospel is more powerful? Because it's eternal. It's eternal. 
And so when Jesus says that this love is before the foundation of the world, he's revealing to us, he's showing us that the love that we're to have with one another, the oneness that we're to experience, that, it, that, that oneness is truly as the oneness that the Father and Son have. Before the foundation of the world, not a moment, transcends a moment. More than a moment, transcends time altogether. This love is eternal. And if you are in Christ, brother and sister, that is the love that you are bound up in. And that is the love with which you get to participate in union and unity with one another. That's hard to grasp. Like, that's hard to understand. It's hard to catch that and see that and feel that and say, how does that happen? And one of the most beautiful things about this passage is that in verse 22, Jesus gives us a very clear articulation of how this is accomplished. He tells us how this this oneness that he prays for will be accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. In verse 22, it says this, The glory that you have given me, so the the glory that the Father has given Jesus the Son, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. So there's a lot going on here in that short phrase. That they may be one as we are one is the purpose statement. That this is meant for oneness, for unity of believers, for these people who have trusted in Christ to be characterized above all things as as together in union with God and now with one another. And Jesus tells us how he does it. He says, the Father has given me glory and I have given it to them. So it is Jesus giving us his glory that empowers, that enables, that it makes this union, this unity happen. How are we connected Oh, well, we're connected because like, we all believe in Jesus. Absolutely. But look deeper into what is happening to enable that. The power, the mechanism, the mode, what happens. This is, um, this is D.A. Carson, and, and a number of you have read works of his. Uh, he's a theologian and writer. This is from his uh, commentary on the Gospel of John. It's fantastic. Uh, And this is one of, I, I think, one of the more helpful things in it because he describes glory. I think for us, glory is a challenging concept. What does glory mean? And more particularly, what does the scripture mean when it says glory? And this is what Carson says that's so helpful. He says, glory commonly refers to the manifestation of God's character or person in a revelatory context. So, one, let's start with the context. There's this place of deep revelation, this incredible event that happens. And what this is pointing to, that event, is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as a result, glory is the manifestation of, the picture of, the giving of God's character or person. So this is what Jesus has done. This is what, this is what, when we say, look, and you, I, I honestly don't get tired of saying it, I don't think, but when we say over and over again, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, what does that mean? This is what it means. This is what's accomplished in what Jesus has done. He has mediated the glory of God. So that means he has taken the character, the very person of God, of himself. He's given that. He's mediated it to personally to his followers 
So specifically, Carson's talking about the, the these in this moment, the people that are truly there with Jesus, following Jesus, Jesus giving them, through his life, death, and resurrection, he'll accomplish this, he'll give them his glory, and through them to those who believe on account of their message. That's you and me. We have believed in the gospel. We've believed that Jesus lived sinlessly, that he died on the cross for us, and that he rose on the third day. That truly, as we sing this morning, the death has been conquered. This is why Paul would say, where's your, where's your victory, death? Where's your sting? Because Christ has conquered it in the resurrection. That life, that glory has been mediated to, it's been given to us. This is why Paul can write in Romans and say, it is credited as righteousness for those who have faith. Those who believe in, who've entrusted their life to Jesus, have this imputed, given to us, righteousness it's given to us so paul would also say in chapter six in romans he would describe and he would use the image of baptism and he would say very succinctly and distinctly that don't you realize that when you're baptized you're baptized into christ's death and you're raised to walk in newness of life what he's saying in that moment is, you entrust your life, you, you, you surrender to Christ, you're baptized, you, you give your life to the Lord. You go down into that death. That has happened to us as believers. We died that death with him. And he raises us to walk in the same resurrected, eternal life that he has. Um, I want to be, yeah, I want to be really clear when I say this. I think I grew up in such a way where even theologically I held out this idea that there was like the real Michael. And then there was Jesus blocking me. Like shielding me. So like, it's like when people say, oh, well, God, God doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. So it's like there's still this real broken, horrible, marred, terrible me, but then I'm being shielded or blocked. And the scriptures say something vastly different. The scriptures say that it's not just this image that God has of us, this curated, shielded image. Instead, we're actually made new. We're co-heirs with Christ. Do you realize that? That this love that existed before the foundation of the world has drawn us into this place where God does not tolerate us because of Jesus. We have oneness with, we have union with God in Jesus. So when Paul would say in Colossians, and I know, listen, I know we say this and we do this every week, but it's really, really important, okay? Colossians chapter 3, Paul would write and he'd say, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above. We wrote a song about it. We're, we're singing it consistently that we want to set our minds our hearts, all that we are on Jesus. And then he bookends that on the back end and he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. Why does that happen? Because right in the middle 
of that is this astounding, incredible, revelatory context, this place where great knowledge of glory is given, that we've died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. You're looking at me like I'm taking crazy pills. And I get that sense, I get that feeling, but this is reality. God doesn't tolerate you, believer. He doesn't accept you because you're marginally good or better than the person that is seated before you. He doesn't love you because of what you've done. Your works, your good things, your good deeds, filthy rags. Never enough. Could not satisfy and quite frankly delight your God who is holy. But instead... The oneness you have, the freedom you have, is that you're in Christ. That's the provision, that glory. God's character, his personhood has been given to you. Do you understand that? That's been given to us. Oneness, union with Christ that would reflect his beauty in such a way that we'd be one with one another. And not one with one another because we like the same stuff, because we live in the same area, because we do the same things, because we have the same ideologies or ideas or, or political thoughts or, or any of that stuff. Our oneness is not about us. It's about the fact that we are in Christ. And because now we are in Christ, this beautiful, powerful, incredible thing happens. We are one with one another. That's what it means to live in the gospel. To recognize that we have oneness with one another. And look into verses 23 and verse 26, and you're going to see the purpose of this oneness of life in the gospel. Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. And then look at this statement. Why? Why become perfectly one? What is the purpose? What is the reason? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So two powerful things happening in this. Jesus prays for not just unity, but union, true connectedness for us. Us connected to one another in the same way that he is in the Father, that we would be in him, and now we're in him together. And it is the defining marker of who we are, identity-wise, that we have union with God, fellowship with God through Christ by the Spirit, and now union with one another so that the world may believe. So that the world may believe They would see this otherworldly, this holy, this astounding love that is unparalleled to anything else they've ever seen. And they see that and then they believe. And they trust in Jesus. And then the second thing, 
so that there's this knowledge, this fullness, this experience that comes from that union. It's this, that they would experience love, that we would experience the same love that God the Father has for Jesus Christ, His only perfect Son. That's the purpose. Jesus says this in verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Living in the gospel, life in the gospel, what we're afforded, what happens to us, what's real because of our belief in Jesus is the deep understanding that we are in God, not just individually, but together. So why harp on this? Why, like, why, why say this? Um, here's the short answer. This is what the scriptures say. But I would say from a practical standpoint, and I mean this for the church universal, not just Double Oak Community Church Chelsea, um, although we've got our own struggles, I think we've had a real hard time being one the past couple of years. Tell me this is not just me. We've really struggled to be one. And I'm not talking about having the same idea of how we ought to approach a subject or do a thing. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the oneness, the love that we've exhibited toward one another in such a way that the world would see and believe that Jesus is the one who the Father has sent to redeem and restore creation, to reconcile humanity to God, and to see and experience this love that the Father has for the Son even before our eyes in real life. To see that. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to look to New Testament epistles. We're going to look to scriptures. We're going to see really practically how the church is challenged. For goodness sake, these books are written. These letters are written because there's a lack of unity. We're going to get the picture of what not to do. What life in the gospel does not look like, and how to practically live that out. But here's today, here's the application point, here's what you need to walk away with. The profound reality that if you are in Christ, you are one with your brother and sister. You're one. Jesus has accomplished this. This prayer comes true as he's obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. He lives perfectly. He dies, and he overcomes the grave in his resurrection. And we have oneness with one another. Like, I'm soft, and so I don't like hard conversations, and we all, I think, for the most part... Now, there's a couple of you in here who are weird because like, you're, like, you just you want to fight today. You're like, who is it? Where's it coming from? How can I do this? And I don't get that. Um, and so I don't want to paint with a broad brush here and say this is everyone, but 
I think by and large, a lot of us have a real challenge having hard conversations. I want to just want to prepare us, I think over the next couple of weeks, um, the hope would be, my true hope and prayer would be that we might have some hard conversations with one another. We might confess sin to one another. We might like actually say we're sorry. And I'm not talking about like in an email. I'm talking about like face to face. And there'll be deep restoration and healing. So I think one application point for today would just be to think through, man, am I living a life of oneness? Where people see in my life the love of the Father and the Son. They see Jesus' love. They see the love of the Father in the way I have relationships with other people. And then two, to just embrace this reality that we fail to realize, that we fail to see that we're one. Um, So as our worship team comes and and we prepare to close and respond today, I can think of no better, more pure or true or appropriate response than for us to truly confess our faith together. To proclaim our oneness. To say the gospel. To say that we believe in the Father, we believe in the Son, we believe in the Spirit, and we'll get to this place where we confess and sing together that we believe in the saints' communion and the holy church that God's created. God has done this beautiful, amazing thing in giving us relationship with one another. This is what it means to live in the gospel. We're reconciled to God through Christ. The Spirit lives in us and dwells us, empowers us. The very Spirit of Jesus lives in us. And we have the freedom and opportunity to love our neighbor as ourself. And I mean our outside neighbor. But as we'll look into next week and see the picture of the Scriptures call us to have a deep love for those who are in Christ. So could we be people that pursue that oneness and understand that life in the gospel is not just me and Jesus in the corner, me and Jesus in my seat today doing my thing, but instead that I have relationships that are meant to display to the world the glory of God and to enrich the enjoyment of who God is. Uh, I'd love for you to stand with me. Uh, as we prepare to sing and respond in this moment. You may want to come to this altar and pray. You may want to come uh, and pray with me and talk. You may want to, um, look, you may want to sing. You may just want to see the truth of these words. But I would urge you to listen to the Spirit and to respond. Um, And if you're not one with Christ, you don't know Jesus, I pray that as He works in your heart, that you would trust him and that you would find the deep reality of joy that is unlike anything else in being connected to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have made us one with you. You have reconciled us to yourself through Jesus. And we see his heartbeat this morning, his prayer that we would be one not like the same things, not just do the same things, not just be near one another or tolerate one another, but we would have a love that reflects the love, Father, that you have for your son, Jesus.
and his love for you. So God, I ask that you would do a work in who we are as Double Oak Community Church Chelsea, that you would reconcile relationships, that you would help us understand that we have this deep freedom not to strive anymore, to be more than, to create identity for ourselves because you've given us all the love and beauty and identity that we need in Jesus. Help us to believe that and to trust that and to live lives as one, even today. In Christ's name, amen.